0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com.
1: Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, And a sword will pierce through your own soul, also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed.
0: Father, I'm just grateful for the season that we can remember, and we so need to remember sometimes, Lord, as life gets chaotic and um, busy, and and just we make a mess of things. And so I just thank you for the time to get away with your people. And to reflect and to remember uh, and to prepare. Uh, remember your first coming, prepare for your second. I ask that as we spend time in your word again this morning, bless this time. It is your scripture. It is the story of you, Lord Jesus, of who you are and what you have done and what you want us to know and how you want us to follow. And so help me uh, to communicate in a way that is clear and true and relevant to, to each in this room, whatever season of life they're in. And that is a miraculous work that your spirit must do despite me and my limitations and my fallenness and, and the fact that I need these things as much as anyone. So I just pray for your spirit to fall on each of us, to fill us, to give us ears to hear, to be encouraged, to be remembering, uh, to be preparing. Um, and we pray it for the name and, and sake of Christ, our savior. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right. And I love singing Christmas carols is the best time of year, isn't it? It's it's good stuff. Um, One of the questions you hear or you probably ask this time of year, heard it last night. I've heard it several times already. We're like three days into December is, are you ready for Christmas? What kind of crazy person asks that question? Because what they're really asking is what? You got all your stuff up yet? You got your nativity? You got your tree? You got little reindeers out front? You got all that? Do you got all your gift spot? Like as if someone has, I mean, if you have your gift spot, you just need to leave church right now. All right. But, uh, where are you going? Who's coming in? Who's coming out? You got your meals planned out? That's, that's what they're asking. Are you ready for Christmas? And I know if you're like me, just thinking about that, the stress level is like, shh. why? Because we ain't bought one thing. And the tree just got up. And we're not even, we got exams. How many of y'all have high school students? Exams coming up. We don't even care about Christmas right now. We just want to pass. That's where we're going right now. We'll worry about that after. after. We got all these things. We're not even thinking about that, right? And then there's the Christmas lights. Let's be honest. How many of you have already put up the Christmas lights and it has been a, a, a wicked time of your week? These things are wicked created by Beelzebub himself. I mean, who else designs something that where one out of a hundred lights goes out, the whole thing is out? <laughs> what kind of crazy person does that? Exactly, but, but that's, that's, that's what, are you ready? Yeah, ready. But when we ask the question as Christians, are you ready for Christmas? We're not asking you got all the decorations up because you can have all the things ready. You can have everything in your nice little, tidy little Christmas bow and you can still not be ready. What we're not talking about is if, if your, your house is Pinterest worthy, or if you have the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. We're not, we're not talking about if, if your baking skills have put you on the food network, or if you are just the typical cut and bake cookie guy. Right? Those things have nothing to do with you being ready, but there is one ingredient that we're gonna talk about today to to really help us to get ready for Christmas. And that one ingredient is what we celebrate today. It's peace, it's peace. And and I'm not talking about peace from everything because you gotta get on Abercorn at some point and it's miserable. (laughs) You gotta go to amazon.com, you gotta put up the Christmas. I'm not talking about peace from everything. I'm talking about peace in everything. And that's the peace that we're talking about at Christmas, right? Are you ready? Do you have peace? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're, we're going to look at a story of, of a young baby whose one purpose in life is to get us ready, right? That's, that's why he is born. He is born to make us ready, and we're going to see how, and we're going to see his story, and, and hopefully just give you some practical ideas of how to have a little bit of peace in, in what is often chaotic so that you are ready, so that you're ready, so you're prepared for Christmas. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5. And we've got a lot of text today, so we're going to be moving a little bit. Um, and what we did last week, for those of you who are new or visiting or you missed last week of Thanksgiving, we started a brand new book of the Bible. It's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's a two-part book. In essence, Luke and Acts make up one big story. It is written by a man named Luke, obviously. He is a physician, a well-educated man, a companion of Paul at at many times. He is not an eyewitness to these things, but he is writing to a guy named Theophilus, who's some high-ranking Roman official, and his goal is to give Theophilus certainty about what he has believed in Christ that he is going to give explicit details of how it happened and all these historical facts so that he can have hope and be encouraged that this is not some Jewish myth, that this really happened, that this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done. And so that's what the entire book is about. And the story of Christ doesn't actually start in a stable in Bethlehem. It starts a little bit earlier than that in a country town in Judea. And so let's look at it this morning. Let me read just the first couple of verses of Luke 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." And so it starts off in the days of Herod. And this is giving you the backdrop. And if you were a first century person, you would understand this was a dark time because Herod is a bad dude. He is a, he is a harsh, vicious leader. This is a guy, this is the one that tried to kill baby Jesus. And because he couldn't find him, he killed all the other ba- babies in Bethlehem. This is the same guy who killed at least one of his wives. He killed at least two of his sons. One son he killed five days before he died himself, all because they, he was scared they were gonna take his throne. That's who's the ruler in in Israel at this point. And he's a puppet king of Rome, but he's still the king at the time. So it's a dark time for for just the people as a whole. And it's it's not dark just because it's a bad ruler, but just like Ethan has told you, it's because God has been silent for over 400 years. The last thing you hear is, I'm gonna send you Elijah the prophet, Israel. Boom. And then nothing, no prophets, no Old Testament, God is silent. All they know is being subjugated to to nations like Babylon and then Media Persia and then Greece, and now it's Rome, right? And all they know is just being slaves. And for 400 years, think about it. Where was America 400 years ago? There was no America, all right? There was no Thanksgiving. First Thanksgiving was in like in 1620. Think about how long ago that is. You're talking pilgrim time here. For 400 years, nothing waiting, hoping, wondering, where is God? What is he doing? Why is he silent? Not a lot of peace there. Not a lot of peace in Israel. Bad king, bad time. And, in, and Luke intros us into a couple, a sweet little elderly couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And he is a priest. And when you hear priest, don't think big wig, don't think Pope, don't think funny hat. He is a priest in a little village in the Judean countryside, we find out later in the chapter. All right, the villages in that in that area of the world, 50 to 100 folks, mostly farmers, right? So picture, this is what the equivalent of this is. Zachariah is a bivocational pastor. He's a farmer in the day, he's a pastor at night of First Baptist Bloomingdale. Right? It's a little country town that no one really visits unless they run out of gas, right? It's just out there and he's the he's the bivocational pastor in Bloomingdale. Right, That's who he is, and, and to make matters worse, him and his elderly wife have no kids, which in that day was, as we've seen before, a travesty. Because physically, they're wondering, there's no social security, who's gonna take care of me when I get old? Who's gonna farm the field? Who's gonna feed us when we, can't, when we can't do it? So there's a big physical challenge, but even worse for them in that hyper-religious, hyper-religious culture that they lived in, if you didn't have kids, this, this, these legalistic Jewish nation, they would say, well, God must be, God must be cursing you. You must be a bad priest, bad Bible pastor, bad, bad dude, because if you were good, God would give you kids. And since you don't have kids, then you must have really messed up. And so God is against you. And so there was this reproach their entire lives, Right? And it wasn't gonna happen because it goes out of its way to say they are advanced in years. They are way too old to be having kids. Now, was he a priest? And he knows all the stories of Abraham and how Abraham's wife had a kid and she was way too old. He knows all those stories. But he's thinking that was a thousand years ago. God hasn't done like anything like that in a thousand years. Not to mention he hasn't showed up in 400 years. So there's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of peace. They just gonna settled on the fact that they're going to be childless their entire lives. That dream is over. But here's what I love about what the text highlights. That even though things were dark and even though there wasn't a lot of peace and even though their lives were not where they expected them to be, they don't turn bitter. What does it say about them? They walk blamelessly. That they were were righteous, that they were faithful. Even when it was... Not a, it didn't seem to benefit them at all. Not a lot of peace, but they were faithful. They never gave up on God. And, here, and here, there's something here for us about getting ready and about having peace. And, and it's this. This is the first thing about being ready for us this morning. And maybe it's for some of you and not for others, but I think it's a, a big piece of this story is that if you want to have peace, then, then be faithful when things are dark, when, when there's not a lot of hope and not a lot of, I don't know, you, don't, you just don't see any, any future, be faithful. And how hard is that? How hard was it for Elizabeth to walk through her little country dirty streets every day and see all little mamas playing with their little boys? And seeing all those that are her age that, that should have grandkids, and they probably have grandkids all around them, and she's just kind of walking alone. How hard is it for Zachariah, who's a priest who should be raising up a son to kind of be a future priest one day and and to be able to go to the temple with him and do all these things to, to not have that, that little boy, and to feel that void and to feel that pain and to feel that emptiness. And it would have been easy to get bitter and it would have been easy to say, why am I a priest of God? What has God done for me? I've been faithful for 70 years, nothing, and just quit. How easy would that have been? How easy? And he is faithful. All right? And here's why. And this is what's big. What good, ask yourself in your own, life, what good does bitterness do? What good does being mad and frustrated? You have sat on Abercorn in the last week. Is your frustration gotten you there any quicker? All it's done is made you mad when you by the time you got to the old Navy. You're just frustrated and mad and these Georgia drivers, they don't know how to drive and you're just mad and angry and it's done nobody any good. What does bitterness and anger and impatience, where does it get you? Does it get you peace? It gets you no peace. It gets you worse off. Where does conflict and strife, and I'm not going to forgive that person, where does it get you? No peace. And what they have, even in a dark place, is peace because they're just being faithful. 400 years, God silent, faithful. Suffering from no fault of their own, faithful. And here's just why this is big, because there's a, there's a certain way that the holidays have a way of magnifying those things in your life that you're disappointed with. And some of you, the, big, the biggest problem you're gonna have this Christmas is, is traffic on Abercorn, okay? That's the biggest frustration you're gonna have. But many of you, and I know a lot, I mean, there's a lot in this church. I don't care how happy they were when they greeted you this morning. There is a lot of people in this church that there will be a real void this holiday because this is the first Christmas without mom. And this is, this is, we split me and my husband last year, and, and the kids are not coming home this year because they're going to the other, the other parents. Or maybe your son is still wayward and you've been praying for him for years. Or maybe we have a lot of folks that thought, I, I shouldn't be going home to mom and dad. I should have my own family by this time. I thought I would be married with kids at this point in my life, and that hasn't happened, and so I'm going home with mom, and there's, there's voids. And there's people that are thinking, you know, it's gonna be a meager Christmas because the transmission blew, and because of the medical bills. And so we might get get a couple things, but the the tree is empty. Or the the sickness, we're gonna be spending time getting chemotherapy over over Christmas. Happy holidays, give me some figgy pudding. And and so those are real things going on right here. People have lost spouses. People have had miscarriages, people who haven't had kids yet. And, And how do we deal with those things and have peace? We keep being faithful. And here's why. Because you do not know what God is doing with this void in your life. And you may not for years and years. When do you think they started praying about a kid? When they're 20, they're, they're 70 now, 50 years later, they're about to have a kid. They had no clue that God in his sovereignty was purposely, think about this, he was purposely preventing them from getting pregnant. Hey, 70 year olds, how'd you like to have a baby? Right? You like grandkids for one day and then get them out. But God was purposely keeping her from having a child because he has a plan. God had purposely put Herod as the king of the Jews at this point so he could purposely pursue Jesus so that he could fulfill a prophecy to go down to Egypt and come back. God was purposely letting Rome be in charge so that they would build roads and all these things so the gospel would spread quicker. So you don't see now what God is doing. You have to come back and see it. But maybe God has, has, and I know this is hard to think about, but in his sovereignty, the one who works all things together for good for those who love him, maybe he is allowing a struggle. He is allowing a void because there is something better coming down the road that is gonna blow your socks off. And you would never have thought about it. All they wanted was a kid. They got the greatest man in the Old Testament. The greatest guy in the Old Testament greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, all right? And so maybe God is allowing this struggle right now and he just wants you to be faithful because he's gonna bless you. I don't know the plans of God. I don't know what's gonna happen. But I know that he wants us to be faithful because there's peace there. He's worthy of our trust. That peace comes when we don't choose to go our own way and find God, let me know. I'm peace comes when we, we trust in the Lord with all our heart, when we lean not on our, own, on our own understanding and that in all our ways, we acknowledge him and he then directs the path. That's where peace comes. And so just let me encourage some of you who are in, it's not, you're, not, you're not holly, holly, jolly, jolly right now. And that's okay. You keep pressing on. You keep being faithful because God is, right? And you'll have peace. All right, the text continues. Verse eight. Now, when he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by, by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. A lot of kind of background stuff going on here. There is, there's 24 divisions of priests in Israel, about 20,000 priests total in Israel right at this point. That's a lot of priests, 24 divisions. And, and it was kind of like the national guard duty for them. You would, as a priest, you would have two weeks obligation at the temple a year and your, your group would get called up Your guard unit would get called up to go to the temple for two weeks. And your job was to serve in the temple for two weeks. So a thousand of you would head up and and just kind of take care of the the daily stuff. And the highest thing you could do, the most honored thing that you could do as a priest would be to get to light the incense inside. Okay, only two guys a day got to do it. And once you did it one time, it was a one-time deal. It was your Super Bowl, you're, you're done. You never get to do it again. Most priests never got to do it. Very few, actually, percentage-wise, actually got to do this. And so what they would do is all thousands of them would go up, and then they would roll the dice, they'd cast lots, and they'd eliminate people. And at the end of the day, one guy would be chosen, that one guy would go in. Well, for 40-plus years, old Zachariah had been a loser. Go up every year, loses. Roll the dice, loses, 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 loses. 40-plus years, the guy goes up, and he's a loser. And finally, one day, they roll the dice and Zacharias is chosen to go in. Why? Because every lot that's cast is from the Lord and God has been limiting it so he didn't get called until it was his time. And so his job would be this. And just for you guys who aren't familiar kind of with the temple and stuff, um, go to the next slide. I think I have, there it is. Okay, this is a picture a model of the, of the Herodic temple. This is what the temple looked like. It's a big structure. This is the inner temple. This is the outer court. This is where the, the women couldn't come past here. This is the court of Israel. All the Gentiles had to be out there. But what he would do, Zachariah would go in through these doors right here. He'd be the only guy to do it. And he'd have a censer in his hand with incense. When he went in, okay, this is where he would be. So he would go in and there's only three items in this room. There's a little candlestick on the left. Only light in the whole place. Closed-in room, very quiet, curtains around, so it's very dimly lit. On the right side, there's a table with 12 pieces of bread. It's called the table show bread. And right in front of him was the altar. Behind that would be the veil that, that kind of guards the Holy of Holies. Um, there's no Ark of the Covenant at this point in the, in the temple. Indiana Jones had already rescued it, so it's not there anymore. Um, no, They lost it in Babylon, and they have no clue where it is. It's in D.C. somewhere in our warehouse. We know that from the movie. but. Um, so, but he would come up to the altar in a reverent way, right? Um, and just kind of quietly, and his job would be to, to come up to the coals and to just pray. He'd close his eyes, he'd bow, he'd pray for the nation. He'd put incense and he'd, and he'd kind of spread it on the coals and the, the incense would go up and it pictured the prayers of the God to heaven. And meanwhile, an outside... All these priests, all 900 of them that are left or whatever, the whole multitude would be outside praying. They'd be on their knees outside, just praying for the nation, all right? So this happened twice a day, hundreds of thousands of times, right? So you can picture Zachariah, this is his, this is the day. I mean, this is his Super Bowl. He's gonna, he's he's in there, he's probably nervous, like, don't drop this thing, no one drops this thing, I can't drop this thing. He's looking around, he's kind of approaching uh, the altar slowly, you can imagine he gets up there and he bows his head and he prays a blessing over Israel. He puts the incense on, the, 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 the steam, the mist, the incense goes up to heaven, and he opens his eyes, and boom, there's an angel standing there. Now, what do you think was going through his mind? How did I mess up? What did I do? Did I hit something? <laughs> this is this normal? No one's told me. Angel, notice it's on the right side. Luke is very specific with his details because details matter. But an angel is standing there. Zachariah is troubled. That's a nice way of saying he's, he thinks he's going to die. Fear falls on He turns pale. He's like, this is not what they tell you is supposed to happen, right? But the angel said to him, and in and, and my sanctified imagination, because this news is good, Gabriel, who's the angel, I picture has a smile on his face right? He get, he's the guy that gets to bring the good news. He brings the good news to him. He brings the good news to Mary next week. Uh, I, so I'm, he, I, he thinks going to be, this is going to go over well. He says, Zachariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. Y- your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call his name John, which means Yahweh is gracious. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, that's exciting. And he says, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Right? This is an ironic statement because the ruler of the day was named Herod the Great. But this is where that whole fall and rising come in. That we've talked about. That that what you expect, those who expect to be great are not. Herod may be called great and be rich and has all this money and he's got all these buildings that he's built, but he is actually not great because he opposes the Messiah. But John, who has nothing and lives in the wilderness and eats bees and locusts and dresses in, you know, leather, he is considered the greatest, Jesus says, of the Old Testament. Why? Because he exalts Christ. And so this guy, he's gonna be set apart. The Lord, he's not to drink wine or strong drink. He's on some sort of a vow. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. We'll see that next week. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is the prophecy from Malachi that you heard that I'm sending Elijah, the hero of the Old Testament, to turn the hearts of fathers to children and to disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord of people. What is his job? To get you ready, to make you prepared. That's what he's gonna do. And what you expect, Zechariah, the holy man, the pastor, the guy who's been praying for years for kids, what you expect is, finally, hallelujah, let the Lord use you. I mean, that's what you expect, right? Wouldn't you think? What does he get? Um, How do I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is even older than I am. That's the the, the heart of the, I'm old. In case you didn't notice, Gabriel, I don't know if angels are good at age, but I'm old. My wife is even older. How, how, How do I know this is true? That takes some moxie. And so Gabriel, the smile, is gone. And he said to him, I am Gabriel. And he knows that name, by the way, because Gabriel shows up in the book of Daniel, which Zechariah would have been very familiar with. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. It's like Gabriel saying, let's recap for a moment. You have no kids. You've been praying for years for kids. You're, finally, you win the toss of the dice today. You are standing in the temple in the presence of God. I'm an angel, in case you haven't noticed. My name is Gabriel, which means the strong man of God. I was, I, I stand in the presence of God. I am not Clarence, I have my wings. Okay? And I was just there in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news, and you ask me, how is this going to happen? I'm an old man. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You're not going to talk. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. So here's what's going to happen. The womb of your wife is going to open and your mouth is going to close. Right? And I, and I love the honesty of Luke. He, he kind of snapshots outside. The people are waiting for Zachariah. And you know they're like, what is taking him so long? They're all on their knees on the hard stone. They've already said their prayers and now they're faking because they're scared everyone's going to think they don't pray long enough. And so they're just looking around. Some of you do this. I don't know. And they're thinking, all he has to do is light the stinking thing and get out. What is he doing in there, old man? We should have sent someone else. I knew we should have sent a younger guy. (laughs) And they're just sitting there waiting. And finally he comes out and he's unable to speak. He's supposed to come out as the priest and offer a benediction, okay? That's kind of the close of the service. He does his benediction and everyone leaves, but he can't speak. And they're like, what in the world, Zechariah? What took you so long? He's like. And he kept making signs and he remains mute. And they realize something happened in there, but they can't find out because he can't tell them. And then it just kind of abruptly ends. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. That was a rough week, just sitting there quiet. Everyone's like, whoa, that's the weird guy. He can't talk. He went in the temple, he saw something. (laughs) And then the next picture you get is five months later, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Why she kept herself hidden? I have no clue, but I love what it says. She just, she's just quietly worshipping, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach. You can just picture the 70, 75 year old lady just rubbing her tummy all day long. She's been longing to do that for how long? She's been seeing all the other mamas do it. She's just rubbing her tummy and she's singing little lullabies and she's getting the nursery ready and she's knitting little blankets and stuff. And she's thanking God her husband can't talk. And she's just, I mean, it's, it's a good time. her old girl. But she is thanking God that he has removed her reproach. And what I want you to do is I want you to think of the different responses of these two. Alright? Because here's why. Right? Which one was ready? Was it the priest who knew his Bible, who had all his theology down, who wears all the fancy clothes, who knows all the right answers? Was it him? Nope. He's the one that stands and tells God himself, God's messenger, I don't believe that, right? I don't believe that. It was the marginalized, laughed at, reproached older lady who gets it. And it's, it's right back at that theme I told you, fallen rising. The ones you expect are in, the priest is not in. And the ones you do not expect to be in, the marginalized, older, laughed at lady, she's in, she gets it. Why? Because there's humility and there's pride. And, th- and that's the idea, right? That, that's the whole point. It is not the religious Mr. Know-it-all that gets it. It's the one who says, here it is, Lord, whatever you say. It's the lowly, it's the humble, it's the broken, it's the messy that are ready. Because humility prepares you for Christmas. Humility prepares you for peace. It's the lowly who gets it. And here's the second, second way to be ready. Real simple is be humble. Be humble. See, the heart of the humble says, it's not about me. It's not about me. Christmas, it's not about me. Sunday morning, is not about me. Worship is not about me. That's the heart of humility. The pride says it is about me. And you see that in their responses, do you not? What does his response show me? Prove it to me. I don't believe. What is her response? The Lord has done this. Think about it. One is trying to justify me. and to, What about me? What about me? And, and she's saying, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. That's the difference in humility and pride. And y'all, I so want us to get this because I don't want to just be another church that's got Advent and candles and us and we got all the right answers and we got all the right people and we're projecting all the right images and we're doing all the right things. And then we go to Starbucks and we're just mad because they don't use the right kind of Christmas cups. Man. Right? And then we come in here and we sing all the songs again and we're so happy and it's Christmas and someone lit the candle. That's great. And then we go out and we won't tip that guy because he has a coexist shirt and he won't say Merry Christmas. Well, blah, bah humbug to you, Mr. Bah humbug. See, I, I don't want us to be that church that we're so concerned about getting it all right and getting everything the heart's a little desire and, and, and we never make much of him. The heart of humility makes much of him. John the Baptist, this one who was going to come, his entire existence and life was spent making much of Jesus and telling people, it's not about me. I'm not even unfit to tie his sandals. One's coming. He's greater than I. He's greater than I. And when Jesus finally shows up, what does he do? He bows out. That's why he's the greatest. That's why Jesus says he's the greatest. Because the humble, God exalts the humble in the proper time. And and I, and I know it's, it's kind of out there in the end, so what does, what does it mean to be humble? Let me just give you an example for me this week, because this is where it's, I hate it when sermons apply to me, especially sinful side. But it, I just, it, it, yesterday I'm, I'm working through the sermon, my Saturday afternoon prep time, and I'm working hard. And, and, and there's a lot of pressure at Christmas for pastors. It just is. For Ethan, you know, you know when you're singing Christmas carols and you wanna make sure that people can sing them. And for, for me, it's, it, you want to hit a home run. It's Christmas. It's like the Super Bowl. And so I'm working through this thing and I'm working hard and, and, it, and I'm frustrated that certain things are not, oh, this transition's not working. And it was like the spirit of God just laid upon my heart. Why are you so frustrated? Why? You, you, what, what's the big, what you, all you have to do is make much of me. And what I'm thinking is, I just want people to hear a good sermon. And then I'm realizing, wait a minute, I'm talking about, I, why do I want people to hear a good sermon? So they can come up and say, good sermon? Or so they can leave and say, what a great savior. Because that's the difference. And that's the little, that's my pride. That's just, that's just one way that I'm having to say, you're right, Lord, the transitions can be rough and the illustrations can fail. But if people make much of you, then it will be a victory for me. Okay, so that, that's, that's, you wanna be ready? Forget about the, I mean, decorate the tree. Don't forget about it. But check your spirit. Do you walk around with a sense of arrogance? You're always right. You're this. You can spout off all the prophecies of the Old Testament like him. Great. He missed it. And God puts him in timeout for nine months, which is a blessing for her. Right? So we just want to be ready. And think about it. Again, if you want to have no peace, make everything about you. Make it projecting image, making everyone like you, all these things, because there's somebody gonna always be better than you, and they're gonna always do it better than you, and there's always gonna be frustration, and there's gonna be conflict. There's not gonna be peace if it's all about you. It just won't. So maybe this season, some of the things, maybe you could think outside of yourself and you could give yourself away, and maybe do something you wouldn't normally do. Maybe you can serve in a, in a capacity that you never served in. Maybe you could you know, sneak some presents on the single mom's porch in your neighborhood or your apartment. Or you could go serve at some uh, kitchen downtown that's feeding people on Christmas Day. I mean, just just to get out and put yourself in a lowly position so so that you can exalt the one who it's about. I don't know, you gotta figure that out, you and the spirit. But we wanna be a lowly people who are ready, right? And lowly doesn't make the press, but it catches the eye of your savior, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, jump down real quick to verse 57. We're going to come back and look at Mary next week when we talk about joy. But it kind of jumps ahead to Mary, I mean to Elizabeth uh, having the baby. And so verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She could no longer hide the fact she's pregnant. The whole, oh, it's just kosher hot dogs. That excuse wasn't flying anymore. So uh, she tells everybody, and I love it. Just like Gabriel said, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, and they did what? They rejoiced. Just like Gabriel said, hey, everyone's gonna rejoice with you on this. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Right? It's normal for this big celebration, little town. Everyone comes together, has a big naming party. And they're like, oh, he's a chip off the old block, just looks like his dad, got the crooked nose, got the crazy hair, just like Zachariah. We'll call him Zachy Jr. And she's like, no, 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 John. His name is going to be, he's going to be called John. And they're like, John? I mean, it's a good name. I mean, very popular these these days, most common name, John. But he's John. None of your relatives is called John. Why you call him John? It doesn't make any sense. And so they go over to old Mr. Mute Boy in the corner. And they made signs. Now, here's, here's where we find out that it's possible. We don't know 100%, but he might have been deaf too. Because if he could hear, he would just be listening to the conversation and just kind of go, H. I mean, he could have done something like that. But so he, he doesn't hear what's going on. And so it's possible he's deaf and mute, maybe because he didn't listen to God and he didn't believe God. We don't know. But they, he, he asks for a writing tablet, kind of a first century Etch-A-Sketch. And he, and he says his name, and notice the tense change, is John. Right? And this is, the, this is the climax of the story. This is like the high point. And it's like, oh, it's shocking shock and awe in everyone's face, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke a blessing to God. And everyone then freaks out. They are scared because they haven't seen a miracle. There hasn't been a miracle in Israel hundreds of years. And all these things are talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard it laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? I mean, this kid's gonna be special. Right? Look at all the things that took place around his birth, for the hand of the Lord was with him, right? And then the next verse it says, "Zechariah, his father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And we're gonna see what he prophesies as we close this out. But I wanna highlight something to you. Don't, don't glance over the fact that Zechariah prophesies, that Zechariah is once again fulfilling the role of priest and prophet, right? Because let's recap. High point of his life, supposed to be Mr. Godly man, given this great opportunity to show God's goodness, falls flat on his face, blows the biggest opportunity of his life. So much so that God has to put him in a nine month timeout. But is God done with Zachariah? Has he just blown it so that he'll never be used by God again? You're done, you're out. No, no. He's still a vessel used by God. His mistake does not make him unusable to God. This is a great point for us because I think some of us think that we have such a past or we've blown it so bad that God is half, oh, my my life is ruined now and God will never use me now. Let me tell you something. You are not big enough and strong enough and great enough to blow up God's plan for your life because you got to be stronger than him and you ain't. So no matter what you've done and where you've been, you have not destroyed yourself so that God cannot and will not use you if you will let him. That your failures do not have to be the ending of God using you. You are never beyond God's grace. Now sometimes does he have to put us in time out like he did with him? Yes, but that's to show us and to teach us his grace. And here's the third thing about getting ready for Christmas and having peace is just embrace the beauty of grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. How much grace is just all over the Christmas story? Israel, who doesn't deserve it, gets a Messiah, grace. Zachariah, who doesn't deserve it, gets another chance, grace. Joseph, who wants to divorce Mary when she's innocent, gets another chance, grace, grace. Shepherds, who don't deserve to be in the presence of God, Grace. Magi, who were not even Israel, they're not even Jews, get a sign from God that Messiah is born. Grace. Mary is called the graced one. It's just grace all over the Christmas story. And, and somehow, and I don't know how it happened, and we were talking about this, this the other day, and, and David made a great observation as we were, is that somehow it's become hip in the church to become guilty, like th- to be the spiritual walking dead is cool, oh, I'm the worst sinner, woe is me. No, you're not bad, I'm the worst, no, I'm the bad, oh, I'm much more worse sinner than you are, oh, I was much more wicked than you were. And it's just the idea that we just get to revel in our, in our wickedness. And, and what I see in Zechariah is, yeah, he's been pretty dumb. The first verses of his song that he's about to sing are not, I'm Zechariah, I was a mess, I made a mistake, and I'm woe is me, but God, it's not where he goes. He just starts praising God. When the apostle Paul talks about his past, he says, yeah, I was this, but this is who I am now. This is what God has done. There is grace. And some of you need to stop believing this. If you were a Christian, if you were a child of God, you stop believing that God is this angry dad just waiting for you to mess up so that he can smack you. I mean, if he wanted to put you out, do you think God could put you out? Then what's he waiting for? then he must have something more. He must want something more for you to draw near, to be used by him. And this view that now, and this is another popular view in the church. Well, I had a bad couple of days, and so now I have to have a good couple of days so that I can ca- cancel out the bad couple of days. So I've skipped my quiet time for three days, so I have to have three days of quiet time before I'm back in God's good favor, and so I'm worthy again to go to church and sing and pray. What is that garbage? That's not grace. That's, that's, that's earning your favor, you can't do that. You can't make up, oh, I did, did this again, I fell again, I gotta do two days of not doing that. that that's, that's Egyptian law, that's Baal worship, it's not Christianity. Grace says you have unmerited favor. If I confess my sins, I are, he is faithful and just to forgive me. Does that mean I abuse grace? Well, I'm under grace, I can do what I want. No, if you abuse grace, it means either number one, you don't understand it, or number two, you're not a Christian. And that's according to Romans. Right? But, but if you are a child of God, he has taken away, like Elizabeth says, he has taken away my reproach. God has taken away your reproach. And so stop with the guilt. And the, it's really just pride, this false guilt. Oh, it's just pride. You want people to feel bad for you? Just stop. You, are, you, are, you, are, you exist in a position of a child of God and, and the righteousness of Christ is mine. Does that mean I'm perfect? no but that's your status before God, right? That you don't, you have peace. Since we've been justified with God, we have peace. So some of you need to kind of come out of the shadows of this guilt and stop letting the enemy cripple you, right? So that you're you just, oh, I can't be used by God. And some of you maybe for the first time, maybe, maybe need to receive God's grace. You've been trying to earn God's favor. Maybe if I'm good enough, maybe if then I can pray, then I can go to church. And you need to stop with that and trust alone in what Christ has done and His grace. Right. But we, are, we, we celebrate and we rejoice, and we embrace grace. Why? Because God delights to give it to us. Are you ready? Are you ready? Real quick, last thing. I'm gonna look at this song, and it is a song. If you have your Bible open, you can see it's a different text type. It's because it's poetic. It's got rhythm and meter and, and rhyme in it, and, it, and it's just, this very similar prophecy. And I'm just gonna read through it real quick. Here, here's what I want you to highlight. Number one, Note who he's talking about. You think, oh, he's going to start talking about and singing about John. That's not what he does. But also notice the tense of the verbs as I just read the first couple of verses. Notice the tense of them. And so his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, oh, there we go. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Notice who he's talking about. He's not talking about John. He's talking about Christ. Christ. And he used the past tense with all these verbs. He redeemed us. He delivered us. But wait, Jesus hasn't even been born yet. I mean, he's still months away. How can he do that? How can he talk about it in the past as if it already happened? That's just the way a prophet often speaks. It is so much surety and so much confidence that God is going to do this. He speaks as if it's already happening. That he has delivered us. our enemies. And when they heard enemies, they don't hear what you hear, enemies. I don't know what you hear, but when they hear enemies, they think Rome. Messiah will deliver us from Rome, the oppression of Rome, the slavery of Rome. But there's a problem with that. How many Romans did Jesus kill? Zero. In fact, the other it was the other way around. The Romans are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. And at the end, Jesus is forgiving the Romans. So when, when, John, when he's prophesying about, about Christ, he says he's gonna deliver from the enemies. He can't be talking about Rome because Jesus never delivered from Rome. He's talking about a greater kingdom and a more powerful enemy than Rome. One that you're gonna constantly see fought against in the book of Luke. Satan, demons, sin. The greatest enemy is not Rome, it's not ISIS, it's sin. And Jesus came to defeat sin, to redeem from sin, to deliver from sin, to give peace with, from sin because you are at enmity with God. You are under his wrath and he gives peace with himself through offering his son. And so he says, this is what you're gonna do, John. He finally gets to John, verse 76. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to do what? Get him ready, prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and what? The forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, that's us, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into what? Peace. That's just what we're talking about. He wants to guide us into peace, peace with himself, because you have enmity and now he's made peace. And that's the whole point. And what I want you to highlight as we just close is this. Here's a guy who has seen God come through in the dark. Here's the guy who's ate a little humble pie. Here's the guy who has received God's grace. And what does he do for 10, 13 verses? He worships. He blesses God. It starts out saying he blessed God. And the fourth way, and I think one of the biggest ways for us to get ready and be prepared is to rejoice. If you are under sin and a slave of sin and you have been set free, what do free people do? They rejoice in their freedom. That's what they do. They're not, oh, fine. They rejoice. Why? Because the best gift at Christmas doesn't come from wrapping presents or frenzy of lights. It came in a stable through an exhausted teenage girl with a secret birth of a boy who changed the world. And if you are free, you ought to rejoice. It's just the way it is. If you are redeemed, you, you, if you can't rejoice, then you, can't, you haven't been redeemed. Because free people rejoice. Now, you may be the quiet singer, You may, but if there's no joy when talking about the birth and, and death and resurrection of Christ, have you been freed? Because free people rejoice. There's, there's joy, not just on Sunday in their homes. You, you know, if, you, if you have not listened to the river yet, you are a sinner. I mean, it's Christmas time, for goodness sakes. There should be Christmas going on. There should be singing in the home. You should hear the kids upstairs singing. I mean, you should hear that because we are a joyful people. I prepared people rejoice and we rejoice not in this Christmas gift in the greatest gift. And this is what Jesus is going to say later on in chapter 10. The disciples are gonna have a week, a month of great ministry where they are casting out demons and they're healing people and they have seen amazing things happen that they never thought they could do and they come back to Jesus and say, you would not believe what we did. I mean, you should have seen, you should have seen Peter. He was like a Jedi, like, I mean, it was crazy. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's how much greater it is to be at peace with God, to be forgiven of your sins, that all the greatest ministry in the world is nothing compared to being a Christian, to having your name in heaven. And so we rejoice. And Advent is about rejoicing, and that's the way we have peace. Why? Because Jesus has won the victory. The enemy has been defeated. And you say, well, I'm, you know, there's still struggle. Yes, but it's kind of like everyone knows Alabama's going to win the national championship, but the game still has to be played, Right? It's, it's still got to happen. Sorry, Ohio State. It's not going to happen. Um, but that's, that's the way it is. We know who wins. It's, it's still, the game's still got to be played. He's still got to finally defeat him. But it, we know who wins, and so do we, we, we rejoice. We rejoice. We hope in the darkness. We humble ourselves and, and point to him. We embrace his grace, and we rejoice. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray, and let's worship, and let's rejoice. Father, I just pray just that your people would have a little bit of peace in this time. Um, Just give it to us, grant it to us. We know it's a fruit of the spirit. We know it's walking by your spirit. And so just grant us peace. Uh, I pray for us to be just a a humble church. It's not about us, it is about you and that we would not forget that. That we in the darkness would, would stay faithful, that we, if we feel guilty and shame, that we would trust in the truth of the gospel and that we would be a people who rejoice and have true joy at the birth of our Savior in a manger. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Yes, Dan will sing.